So generally, it is uh, considered impolite to read other people's mail. Generally, that's something um, frowned upon. But I don't know if you've ever thought of it in the Bible. So much of the Bible is actually reading someone else's mail. Especially the second part of it, the New Testament. So many of those books were written to individuals, to churches, not us. But God in his wisdom wanted us to have those very words. And so we are literally reading other churches' mail when we come to places in the New Testament. God could have, think about it, God could have revealed himself. He could have revealed himself through writing something in the clouds. He could have given us just this epic movie to watch and say, this is, this is who I am. But instead, instead, God worked through people. God communicated his truth. People who wrote letters, the first followers of Jesus, many of them wrote testimonies, eyewitnesses, account, eyewitness accounts of, of Jesus. And they also wrote letters to churches. And these letters give instruction for the people of God, not just those people, but all of us in We listened to them. The Holy Spirit was at work revealing truth to them and to us and kind of breathing out his word to us. And so when we read other people's mail, we are reading something that God is communicating here to us. And so it has authority and not only authority, but it also has life. And so I do believe the words that um, Paul wrote that we're going to look at today will give life to us. So if you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1, and Trevor's going to come and read that portion for us. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Today we're going to begin a look at an imperfect church the church at Corinth, and we're going to see some things even about our, our own life together as a church family. I mentioned that this was a letter, and even from the first words that Trevor read, it reminds us that the one who is writing the letter is Paul. Letters worked a little bit differently in their culture than in ours. A lot of times we will write a letter and then we'll sign our name at the end, but it's different. The letters back then would actually lead with the author. So Paul says, I I, Paul, am writing this, and he's writing, he, he identifies himself, he's called to be an apostle. Apostle is just simply like the chief messenger of Jesus. He's called to be that by the will of God. It wasn't his own choice. He didn't decide, ah, I think I want to be an apostle when I grow up. This was God's call on his life, and he identifies not only is he writing it, but there's someone writing it with him, another believer named Sosthenes, a, 
a fellow worker, a fellow Christian. And so they're writing this. And when you come to verse 2, and and I hope you have the Bible open. We're going to just walk through these verses today. But as you come to verse 2, there's something that almost, if you've read the Bible much, it almost just functions if we're not careful, a little bit like fine print that we just don't even pay attention to much. We just blow right through it. So he says that it, it is written to the church of God at Corinth. And when, when Paul says he's writing this to the church of God at Corinth, he's actually setting up something that lives in tension. And it's something that I think we can identify with because, because while it is the church of God, and, and church doesn't mean a building, it doesn't mean an organization, what it means is a gathering, an assembly of people. It means a people that are together. He's writing this to the church. And it isn't the church that just happened to gather together. It's the church of God. Like God possesses the church. God owns us. We are his. We're not our own. He makes us his own. So it is the church that God possesses, but it's the church of God. And that's the way we ought to think of ourselves. It's the church of God at Corinth. So it's located in a particular place, an ancient city. Wherever, wherever we are, the church of God, we're shaped by what's around us. We can't help but be influenced by that. And we don't have time. I mean, we could go into hours and hours of background on what the city of Corinth was like, but we don't have time for that. I, I do want to give you some descriptors of the city in, in just a few words. Again, we could, we could point to so many words like what... What was Corinth like? But at least if you know a few of these things, they will be helpful to you as you read Paul addressing this church. So first of all, they had great, great wealth compared to the rest of the Roman Empire. So this city had money, and money changes things. Money changes people often. And so this was a city where if you looked elsewhere in the empire, you would, you would find lots of people poorer. This was a city that a lot of people had money here. Not everybody, but a lot of people had money. It also was a a city where image was everything. Looking like you, are, you have the right friend group, you're in the right part of society, you, you, in, in an honor and shame culture, you are honored, you have power, not weakness. Image meant a lot. Men, image was everything in Corinth. And if you were in Corinth, you would know this was a city devoted to entertainment. Entertainment was life, so... Uh, an equivalent of the Olympic Games was held right there in Corinth for many, many years. So this was an area where sports would be a regular part of life, where, where shows and the theater, where people would give speeches. This was just part of life at Corinth. Lots of time was spent, lots of energy was spent on entertainment. And, and finally, Corinth was a place where sexual sin was commonplace. And even beyond that, it was celebrated so you're not going to the market in Corinth without probably having your heart grieved if you're, if you're one who wants to walk in sexual integrity. As you think of those words, wealth and image and entertainment and sexual immorality, sexual sin, I wonder, I wonder what it would be like to live in a culture with those kinds of things going on. I don't think we have to wonder what that would be like. Only we have to wonder what it would be like to walk as a faithful Christian in that kind of environment. That sounds very, very familiar. And so it wouldn't be easy for the people of Corinth to have a vibrant, like real relationship with Jesus, not just one that was like, check the box, I'm a Christian, but something that really, like I'm following 
Jesus and his teachings. That would be hard then, just as it's hard now. It's never been easy to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus will always call us, and it's like Pastor Evan prayed about him. He will always put demands on us. What would be more easy is just to look like the world. What would be more easy, what would be much easier is just to walk and and live a materialistic lifestyle influenced by the wealth that you have, to give your life over to entertainment and not think twice about it. What would be easy even for the Christians is to have sexual sin be a part of their lives too. It would be easy for any of us to just be more like the world where image is everything and how we present ourselves, how we portray ourselves matters more to us than anything else. Yet, they're called to be the church of God at Corinth, just like we're called to be the church of God in Newark. Their thinking and their understanding needs to be shaped. And so Paul, in writing this letter, lays down, even in the opening verses, lays down how they ought to think about themselves. And I think by extension, he's telling us how we ought to think of ourselves as the people of God. So he says, first, that if we're, we're shaped by the truth, you're going to recognize that you have been set apart. You have been set apart. This is how Paul speaks. So he says, you are the church of God in Corinth. You've been sanctified by Christ Jesus. You've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified. You've been made holy. You've been set apart. You've been called to be, and the word he uses is you've been called to be saints. Again, same word as sanctified. You you're, you're set apart. You're set apart just like all other believers in the world have been set apart. It's really unfortunate the way we use the word saints in kind of our common language because it's so different than what Paul had in mind. So you know how we use the word saint. You, you talk about your dear great-grandmother and she, oh, she was just such a saint. Or we talk about the, you know, the nicest guy in the world and he's just a saint. Or, you know, the 10% of country songs that claim to be, I ain't no saint, you know, that sort of thing. Or you go to pass by St. Mary's or St. Mark's or St. You know, Matthew, St. You think of Mother Teresa. You, this is the way we talk about saints, kind of this elevated plateau. And yet, that's not, that's not the way the word was originally used. It just meant set apart. And what, what Paul is saying to the church of God at Corinth God would say to our church, as you've been set apart, you've been set apart by God for God. He has done this. We, we would once have just been part of the city, but God has set us apart. We're sanctified. We're, we're called to be saints. We're united to Jesus. They're, they're set apart, and this is a gift of God. They, it doesn't say they set themselves apart. It doesn't say by their, by their behavior they, they really acted like they were different. It says that God gave them this gift. He looked at people in Corinth who were rebels, who were sinners, and he set them apart. He marked them off for his own possession. And he's still doing the same thing. This is a gift of God. We, we could not earn this. No, no one could. God did for us what we couldn't do on our own. It was given to us through Jesus. God in his love has set us apart. He's made us his own. This is so different than actually the, the story that the culture, the world all around us would preach. Because it actually would say, 
You need to, you need to set yourself apart. So, so a, a predominant story in our world goes something like this, that you, you need to stand out. You need to make a name for yourself. You need to make a lot of money. You need to get an education. And maybe your looks and maybe your image will get you noticed. And maybe you'll become so good that nobody can ignore you. If you're just true to yourself, if you just are you, then you'll stand out, not, not in a weird way, but in, in a way that people will take notice of you. How many books are written, self-help books, to say you need to stand out and here's how you can do it? How many Instagram posts, how many celebrities are saying, here's how, here's how I stand out, here's how I set myself apart? And the message is always the same in the world. You look inward and you'll do something or find something that will make you stand out, that will set you apart. But there's such, there could not be a more, a more different message from what Paul is saying. And that is we don't look inward to set ourselves apart. We look outward. God does something for us that we could never do. He sets us apart. He sanctifies us. We think often, and we hear language when we hear the word sanctified. It's not hard if you've been in church a while to think, Oh yeah, that means I need to be more holy. I need to like work on these habits and I need, to, I need to see change and I need to see transformation in my life. And all that's true and the Bible speaks to that in lots of places. But actually here I think Paul is using the word in a very different way. He's not saying you need to be sanctified. He's not saying one day you will be sanctified. Here he's saying you are. You are set apart. You are set apart for God, by God. It's worth us remembering this. If we think these Corinthians were just some like cut above Christians, like the all-star Christians, like the, the gold medallion kind of standard Christians that kind of get in first before everybody else, all you have to do is read the rest of the book. He's going to spend the rest of the time confronting them on areas where they're actually falling very short of the clear teachings of Jesus. These aren't Perfect. This is an imperfect church. But he leads with this. You have been marked out by God, for God. I think it changes things. I don't just think, I know it changes things when I realize I've been called out by God. I've been set apart by God. This is who I am. I belong to a group who's been set apart for God. I have a purpose in my life to make him known to glorify him. And when I do that, not only is he glorified, but I'm living my life to the fullest potential. I think sometimes we feel uncomfortable in this world. So how many, how many elementary kids, how many middle school students, how many high school students, college students went to school this past week or two and felt like because of their walk with Jesus, they didn't quite fit in. They didn't quite belong. There's a group of people that were the, like, the group that does all fit, and, and because of their faith in Jesus, they don't feel like they quite fit in. And maybe it's just time we recognize, yeah, it's the truth, because you've been called out by God. It's very likely we will find lots of places as Christians where we're just not going to fit in comfortably, because we've actually been set apart by God. There's something grander that, and, and such a greater purpose than us feeling like we belong in every environment. There's something much greater, and that's like God has a plan for us. 
That affects how I, I look at my own life. That affects how I look at others. I can easily find myself disappointed and frustrated by other Christians. If you've been a Christian any amount of time, if you've been to church any amount of time, you see the failures and the faults and the, the irritations that other Christians bring. And yet when I see you and recognize, wait a minute, you and I both, we've been set apart for God. It just changes the way I look. It changes the way how I speak to other people. I, I think I might be talking to someone who is tired and, and just discouraged in fighting sin, fighting those habits that have so become part of their life and they want them out, or, or someone who's weary from suffering, or someone who maybe even has begun to grow in their Christian life. If I recognize they've been set apart by God, I'm saying, wait a minute, you've been, you've been set apart by God and he would not do that if he didn't have a loving plan for your life. You've been set apart. We need to know that. We need to think about that. We need to realize that. As you read more of the Corinthians mail from Paul, he prays for them. Look at verse 3. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. So this is his way of praying. He's wishing grace on them and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm giving thanks to my God all the time for you because... The grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. He's thanking God all the time for what God has done for them. And the word he uses to describe it is a word called grace. And grace in the Bible isn't ever a, just like a, a religious term. It's a, it gets real personal real quick. God gives grace. And, and, and this is something that we don't earn. We, we, we didn't deserve and he gives it to us anyway. God has been good to us and given us many gifts through Jesus. And he says... This grace in verse 5, God gave grace to believers in Christ Jesus to the point that he is able to say in verse 5, in every way, so in your whole life, you were enriched in Jesus, in all speech and in all knowledge. Another identifier for the church of God in Corinth is this, because God is so full of grace in Christ Jesus, Paul says, he, you've been made rich. You have been made rich. Not only are you set apart, you've been made rich. Listen to the language. Because you live in a close relationship with Jesus Christ, God has enriched your lives. God has given you gifts. God has given you abilities, so much so that you're able to use words to further the message of Jesus. You have knowledge, he says. You have knowledge of spiritual realities. So much so that as God's gift is going in your life and God has poured out his grace on you and you've been made rich, you're not lacking. You're not lacking in any gift. The testimony about Christ has like put its roots down. It's confirmed among you. Not one good gift of God you not have. They've been made rich. So what we know is that that doesn't necessarily mean economically rich. Because later on in this chapter, in the following chapters, he's going to say, look around, there's not a lot of influential people at the Church of God in Corinth. From the world's standards, there's not a lot of the, the moneymakers here. Not a lot of the, like the high society, the movers and shakers. So if we hear, you have been made rich, what exactly is he talking? Is he just flattering them? Is he in some sort of pretend world? 
No, it's not artificial. This is reality as God sees it, as God defines it. They have been made rich. So don't think about big bank account and don't think about huge house, brand new automobile, stock market, clothes, hobbies. Don't, don't think about all this. Think about having a life that's rich. And it's rich because God has given you grace. God is, you are enjoying the grace gifts of God. What we know about the grace gifts of God, so when God gives individuals in the church gifts, what he means for them is yes, that they'll glorify God, but also that they'll be used in benefit and service to other people. So God's giving the church, he's giving us gifts so that we will use it. And when we do that, when we bless other people, we are made rich. Particularly, this church had gifts where they could see spiritual realities. They had knowledge. They had gifts of speech. They could use God's word to, and speak it to each other in ways that would be profitable. They're rich because they're part of a spiritual family where God's grace has come alive. What a, what a blessing to be a part of that, a place where God's spirit is at work. God in his wisdom has designed the church to be a place where where he will give gifts and we will use them. Yes, to glorify him, but also to build up each other. Our lives will mean more than just the pursuit of making ourselves happy. Which if you give your life to just making yourself happy, if that's your sole ambition, just that you would be happy and and it doesn't matter anybody else, that's a dead end and actually is no kind of life worth living. But he can say, you, on the other hand, you are made rich. A lot of people promising ways, a lot of people will volunteer to be a guide to show you how you can be rich. How you can make a ton of money. If you just do this, if you just follow this plan, here's the four-step plan. Here's the 10-step plan. Here's Here's the guide that can tell you, here's how you can have a rich life. And if you listen to them, you better, you better hope they know what they're talking about. And you better hope the wealth they promise goes far beyond just money in a bank account. Because that can all disappear in a moment. I think people are looking, looking for this rich life to know that, think about this, to know that some capacity, some personality trait that you have, that you were given by your creator would be used in such a way not to, not to make yourself great, but to really, really benefit another person. And in the end, by doing that, by using that, by somehow deploying what God has given you, that would give glory back to him. I think, I think people long for that sort of richness of a life. I think most people I know, whether they're Christian or not, want their lives to matter in that kind of way. And God says, this is what I've done. I've made, I've made you rich. It changes the way we think about things. It changes what we would say, this is the good life. It means it's not just about more pleasure, more comfort. It means we might even take money that otherwise would just be like, to make myself a little bit more happy. We would distribute that so that others are benefited beyond ourselves. Paul addresses the church of God in Corinth. 
He says, you, you've been, we've been, we've been set apart. We've been made rich. And now he also acknowledges toward the end of the verses we were looking at this morning. You are waiting on something as well. So yeah, you, you have been set apart and you have been made rich. But church, never forget, you are waiting on something. Verse 7 says, you've been made rich as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is you expectantly await Christ Jesus to appear, to come back, to reveal himself in all his power, in all his glory. So it may be more accurate to say we're not just waiting on something, we're waiting on someone. We're waiting on someone. So many people in our world are waiting. They're waiting on something to make their life a little bit better. They're they're waiting on something that here's the story of their life being written and they're saying, if I just had this, the story of my life would be so much better going forward. If I just had a relationship, if I just had a friend or if I just had a significant other, then, and I'm just waiting on it because then I think life would be so much better. If I, if I just could move out of my current situation, could just move out of the area, I'm just waiting on the time where I can do that. Some people are just waiting on the next election and the one after that where this kind of political idea, if we could just get this elected, that, then this would make things, oh, the world would be so much better of a place. Or, or we're waiting on, if I just had a little bit more money, I don't need to be like filthy rich. If I just had a little bit more, so many things in my life would be better. My, my story would be so much better, just a little bit more. I'm waiting on just a little bit more. I'm waiting on a, a, a new job. I, if I just had a job or a new job, and my, my life, I'm just waiting on that to fall into place. Or if, if, if someone would just change, if they would just be different, then I wouldn't have to deal with all of their mess anymore. If they could just, that's all I'm waiting on. There's a hunger in the world. We know it's not the way it should be. And so we wait. And Paul says, the way the story for the Christian is written is you are waiting, not on any of what I just talked about, you are waiting on Jesus to come back. When he comes, when he shows his strength to the world, setting everything right, then it changes. You eagerly await for that. It's like when my kids were little and they knew company was coming over. Eagerly awaiting, like at the door. My friend coming. Is that their car? I think I see him. No casual waiting here. Do we wait for Jesus like that? Like, Lord, I'll be faithful in the meantime, but oh, I want you to come. I I want to be ready to meet you. Do we wait like that? And Paul has even more to tell them while they're waiting. Look at at what he says in verse 8. Even as you wait, Jesus Christ will sustain you all the way to the end. Guiltless, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus will strengthen you and sustain you. Jesus will help you keep on believing in him to the very end. Jesus will help you. So much so that you'll be guiltless or blameless. No one will be able to accuse you successfully because Jesus is the only one that could do that. And he said, no condemnation for those who are in me. What an amazing promise. 
There's a future described. Like we, we are people that don't just get like kind of settled into this world. We, we wait. We wait for Jesus to come. This is part of, of what identifies us as the people of God. We look for the end. We look for the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We hear Paul saying, you're the church of God at Corinth. You need to remember you've been set apart. You need to remember that you've been made rich. You don't lack anything here. You need to remember that you're waiting on someone. And in the end, in verse 9, we have this like summary of everything that Paul's just described. Maybe Paul wanted them to meditate on it. Maybe you're, you're in the habit, or maybe you're actually not in the habit of memorizing verses. This would be a great verse to memorize. I, I think it'd be easy to commit this to memory throughout this coming week. God is faithful. You may not be so faithful in your waiting, but God is faithful. By whom you were called into, not organized religion, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do we doubt? Do we doubt these things? God is faithful. We can trust him. He himself is the one who called us. Paul's not just throwing around God talk or spiritual language. He's pointing us to a person. You've been called into fellowship, into partnership, into sharing the life of Jesus Christ. This Jesus who was crucified, this Jesus who rose again, this Jesus who is at the right hand of God the Father pleading for us, this Jesus who loved us, this Jesus who gave himself for us, this Jesus who we worship, this Jesus called us into his life. Think about all the power in the life of Jesus. We're called into fellowship with that. All the meaning of the life of Jesus, we're called into that, into fellowship with that. As you read through the first nine verses, what dawned on me as I read these verses again and again and again this week is Paul has just this preoccupation with Jesus. I found, I found it everywhere. Just look at every time in those first nine verses. So Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus. You've been sanctified in Jesus. You call upon the name of Jesus. You receive grace and peace from Jesus. You're enriched in Jesus. You're shaped by the testimony about Jesus. You're waiting for the revealing of Jesus. You're sustained by Jesus. You're looking for the day of Jesus. You're brought into the fellowship of Jesus. Something amazing happens when, an important, when someone comes into your life that all of a sudden you find yourself... You, you, you give them attention. Maybe it's a new friend or, or maybe it's, it's an acquaintance. Maybe it's just someone you're listening to or someone you're reading and something happens when you're like really moved by a person and that is you, you can't help but bring them up into conversation. So their name seems to come up and maybe you've noticed that with a friend or a family member where it seems like, man, you're talking a lot about so-and-so, a coworker or a friend. Like something's going on here. This person seems to be meaning a lot to you. Their name has come up like, I never had heard of that person a week ago, but now I've heard of them like five times. You, you're, you're being influenced by them. Maybe even their authority has meant something to your life. And Jesus matters to Paul in that way, so much so that he can't even conceive of the world 
without thinking of Jesus? Does he matter to you that much as well? A few questions for us to end with today. So what, what difference will it make this week? What difference will it make for you this week to remember that in Jesus you have been set apart? Maybe even in your fight against sin, I've been set apart by God for God. Maybe in your suffering, I've been set apart. Maybe when you don't quite fit, I've been set apart. What difference will it make this week for you to remember that in Jesus you have been made rich? And the fact that he has gifted you with so many things is only that you would invest those gifts for others. What difference might that make in your life this week, the time you spend, the people you contact? What difference will it make this week for you to remember that as you wait for the return of Jesus, you're waiting on something that is certainly more than this life could ever give? You're not so comfortable with this world because you're waiting on something far better, which is Jesus himself. What difference is that going to make? Can I ask us to think about those? Can I ask you to bow your head? I actually just want to give us a, a few moments to process who we are in Jesus to think about this. In a moment, we're going to sing a song as a church and really calling our church into action. But for now, let's, let's think about our identity, who we are in Jesus, who God has said we are. Father, you gave words like these to a church that 2,000 years ago and thousands of miles away, and yet I have a strong sense you're saying these words to us this morning, so I pray we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers. We would put into practice what we've heard. And I pray we would speak these words and these kinds of thoughts and truths to each other. And we pray that your church It is in our church. We pray that your church that is located here would be set apart, would be made rich, and would be waiting for you to return. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.